Somebody requested before church started that we talk about Jacob tonight, but I'm not ready to talk about Jacob. If that's all right, let's just talk about Joshua, if you don't mind. If you have your Bibles, go to Joshua chapter 9, and we're going to pick, off, pick up where we left off last week, uh, where we were talking about this, this deal that Joshua and Israel struck with the Gibeonites, and how that they, they really should not have done it, they, they would have been better off had they not done it. They did it based on their feelings and not on their faith and what they knew God wanted them to do. But they did it anyway. And I, I, as I was studying it again and refreshing, it, it just it struck me that when they, when they took their goods in their hands, those all those things that they used to manipulate the process, the, 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 the wineskins that had the patches on them and all those things, the stuff, the material goods, caused them to rethink uh, in, in the spiritual realm. So they, they, it brought their minds to the material realm. And they made a, made a decision that they should not have made. And we're going to pick up tonight in verse, uh, let, me, let me turn my page back here. We're going to pick up in verse 16, uh, chapter 9. It says, And it happened at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that, that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. You remember how we talked about how that the Gibeonites came and they said they came from a far, far country. When really they just they lived down by Highview Baptist Church. They were just down the road. I mean, they just just around the corner. But said that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them, and the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Shepherah, Beeroth, and Kerjoth Jerum. But the children of Israel did not attack them. Because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel, and all the congregation complained against the rulers. Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel, now therefore we may not touch them. But this we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us, because of the oath which we swore to them. Now, let's just break that down. As the Gibeonites began to come and go freely among the Israelites, the Israelites started asking, well, who are these people? I mean, where did they come from, really? What's, what's this all about? And they began to talk about who they were, and they discovered in the course of the conversation that they weren't from a far country, but in fact that they were their neighbors, that had just come from down the street. And so they began inquiring, and as they began to inquire, they began to get upset with the leadership of Israel because they were in a killing mood. They wanted to kill everybody that they came in contact with. They, they had slain all the people of Ai. They'd just come out of that battle. And prior to that, they had just slain all the people of Jericho. And they were in a slaying mood. Did you ever get in one of those kind of moods? And you just wanted to slay everybody around you? I mean, you might not have wanted to physically harm them, but you might have wanted to verbally harm them or, or impose some kind of uh, penalty upon them. 
But they were wanting to destroy them and kill them. And when they discovered that they could not, and that they in fact were, were, had misrepresented who they were, then they became angry with the leadership of Israel. And Israel, uh, the leader said, we have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. This is not just something that we swore by ourselves or on our own name or by our own authority. But they said, we actually invoked the name of the Lord God of Israel when we struck covenant with them. And so because we did something as a representative of our God, then we cannot touch them. And we cannot do bodily harm to them. And so they were upset and they had to deal with this covenant now that they had made that, was a, that was, it should have never been made but was made. And so now they had to stick to their guns. Now, here's, here's the good part about this. The good part about Israel is that they were willing to stick with the covenant. They were willing to back it up. They were willing to keep the Gibeonites uh, within the confines of the covenant that they had struck. And they were not willing to do them any harm because of the covenant that they'd made. In fact, the covenant with the Gibeonites lasted for several years. Uh, It was not broken until we see in 2 Samuel chapter 21... Uh, verses 1 through 9, and it talks about, in verse 1, it talks about, now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. That simply means for three consecutive years in the history of Israel, there was a famine. And so David inquired of the Lord. Did you ever ask the Lord, why am I going through what I'm going through? What, what, you know, what might I have done What is the cause of this? Why am I experiencing this kind of difficulty in in my life? That's what David was doing. David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered him. And he said, it is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house because he killed the Gibeonites. He killed who? He killed the Gibeonites. Now you remember Saul was the king of Israel. And so Joshua had made a covenant with the Gibeonites and they were to remain protected under the covenant that had been made through Joshua. But when Saul came into power, he decided that he no longer wanted to honor the covenant that Joshua had made. And so he killed the Gibeonites. And when he killed the Gibeonites because he broke covenant with them... God brought famine upon the household of Israel because they had chosen to break the covenant that they had created with the Gibeonites. So even though they should have never struck that covenant with them, because they did, they were bound to it. And so the good news is, and the positive part of this is that when all the congregation came to the leaders of Israel and said, listen, they misrepresented themselves. They lied to us. They manipulated us. So we should be able to kill them. And the, leader of Israel, the leaders of Israel said, no, no, we can't do that because we made a covenant with them and we must keep our end of the bargain. 
You know, it's interesting to me that so much of the trouble that we face in the world today that we're in is because we have left the covenant of God's word. And we have refused to hold to the principles that God has established. And we've gone our own way rather than holding to the principles that God has created for us. Let's just think about a few of those things. God created a covenant with his people through the Ten Commandments. And there are many commandments there that he gives and says, these are the the things that I expect you to honor. And and through the years, there were were covenants that were made. There's the Davidic covenant that was given. And, And along with that covenant were requirements upon the people of God. You say, well, that's Old Testament. It's no longer uh, effective in our lives. We're not bound to the law. And you're right about that. But have you discovered something about the teachings of Jesus? The teachings of Jesus are stricter than the Old Testament law that, that was given through Moses. Because Jesus would say things like this. He said, I don't say that you should, you should not commit adultery. I say... That if you look at a woman and you, and, you, and you lust after her in your mind, it doesn't even matter if you ever lay a hand on her or not. It is as though you have committed adultery in your heart with that woman because your attitude is that I would like to, I'm going to lust after this individual. So when Jesus came along, he said, it's true that we're not holding you to the, to the strictness of the law. But what I would say is, is that we ought to do what the law says, but we ought to go beyond that and live even in a, a, a manner that is more holy than is suggested through the Old Testament. Now, you know, I, I, you know this about me. I was raised in a very old time legalistic church. I really was. We made up our own set of rules. And I'm telling you, some of them made no sense whatsoever to me. Women weren't allowed to wear pants. Women had to pray on one side of the church. The men had to pray on the other side of the church. When it came time to lay hands on each other, a man had to lay hands on a man and a woman had to lay hands on a woman. And now these days, the men want to be together and the women want to be together and we've got got mixed company. It's just... It's, we made up our own rules is what I'm trying to say. And, and while not all of those rules were, were mandatory according to Scripture, they were rules that were set in motion by people who had a desire to live a holy life before Jesus Christ. Their motive was not to put extra burdens on people but was to live in such a way that God would always smile upon our lives because of the holy life that we were living. So, but, but we couldn't keep all those rules and we couldn't keep all those laws. And before, before then we began to realize that. Now here in this scripture, they stuck to the covenant very, very closely. And they refused to give in on any point of it whatsoever. You know, I've thought how much better our lives would be if we would just take the scripture, for instance, it talks about for those of you who lied at one time, lie no more. I wonder how our lives would change if we would be careful 
that we always told the truth and that we always spoke with honesty and that we always put dishonesty aside. Wouldn't it bring blessings into our lives? But sometimes, and I'm not talking about you necessarily, but sometimes in our minds we rationalize that this situation will be better if if they don't know the whole truth of the matter. So I'll just withhold some truth from the situation. And by withholding, we're manipulating a situation because we're not giving the whole picture of what's taking place. I wonder how many of our homes would be so much better if we would just stop threatening with one another with divorce. And if you don't do this and if you don't do that, then I'm going to leave. And, I'm gonna, and we're always on these pins and needles. My wife and I decided a long time ago, when, before we ever got married, we just kind of started talking about different things and what we wanted our marriage to look like. And one of the things that we said that we were never going to do is interject divorce into the conversation. We weren't going to say, you're either going to do this or live like this or walk like this or I'm out of here. And for 37 years, I can't remember a time ever that it came up in conversation that I'm, I'm leaving, I'm out of here, I don't want to be with you anymore because we made a commitment, a covenant when we stood in that church in Granite City, Illinois at the altar and covenanted before God that we would love one another and abide with one another in sickness or in health, in poverty or in wealth, till death do us part. Now, if she wants to get rid of me, she's going to have to kill me. She's going to have to slay me because I'm not going anywhere. Because I made a covenant. And I wonder how many of our homes would be so much better if we'd have just determined a long time ago that I'm going to stick this thing out. I wonder how many of our kids would have left less problems to deal with if their daddy had chosen to stay home rather than run after some other skirt in town. I wonder these things, and I'm not, I'm not trying to, if you've been through a divorce and, 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 and if you've been through these difficult things, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I, I'm, I'm thankful for grace, aren't you? That even when we make poor choices and make choices that were not the best choices possibly according to God's plan, that when we repent and we come back and we, we put it all before God by grace, He restores us. But I'm just wondering if, that if we could be like the Israelites and say, even though it would seem better to us to go ahead and, and nullify this covenant with them, instead they said, no, we made a covenant with them in the name of our Lord God of Israel, and therefore we cannot touch them. So, covenant. Now, let's, let's go on verse 21. And the ruler said to them, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all of the congregation as the rulers had promised them. And Joshua called for them, and he spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We're very far from you when you dwell near us? Now, therefore, you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves." Woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. I want, I want to come back to that statement right there. For the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and they said, 
Because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore, we were very much afraid for our lives because of you, and we have done this thing. And now, here we are in your hands. Do with us as it seems good and right to do to us. And so he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel so that they did not kill them. And that day, Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. So here's what happens now. Joshua says, you you lied to me. You lied to us. You misrepresented who you are and who you were. And because of that, you're going to be cursed from this day forward. And you will never have a day that you are free from being servants or slaves to Israel. Because you manipulated us. Because you lied to us. You will have to serve us. And you will have to serve the, the, the house of the Lord from here forward from here on out and here's the way you're going to have to do it you're going to have to cut wood and supply the wood for the fires and you're going to have to carry water to the house of the Lord and for the people of Israel so they were to serve Israel in those two ways every day they had to bring water to Israel every day they had to bring wood for their fires every day they had to bring water to the house of the Lord every day they had to bring a, a, a portion of wood so that the, the sacrifices in the house of the Lord could be offered up. Every day for the rest of their lives, the Gibeonites would have to serve Israel because of their dishonesty. But here's the key. The Gibeonites didn't care. They were happy to do it. You know why? For two reasons. Number one, they knew that they would rather be alive than dead. And they knew that if they didn't present themselves to Israel in this way, that Israel was going to kill them just like they'd killed Ai and just like they'd killed Jericho and just like they were killing everyone else. And so the Gibeonites said, hey, we're going to get killed. I mean, they're talking literal death. They were talking about literally Israel was going to put the sword to our neck and we're going to die. So would we rather live as servants to Israel and to the house of God or would we rather die? And they said to Joshua, they said, we'll be your servant. We, the reason that we did this is because we had heard. You remember what we talked about Sunday when we talked about the name of the Lord is here? I mean, everywhere, every day, any way, any place, the name of the Lord is here. They, they had the opportunity now to live in the presence of God's holy people, and they wanted to give themselves in service. They didn't want to die. They didn't want to be put to death, so they offered themselves as servants. And every day, they got up and they cut wood. They brought it to Israel. Every day they brought water to Israel because it was the price that they paid. Psalm 84 and 10 says, 
For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. That's what they were saying. They were saying, I'd be, even if I have to serve in this capacity, I'd rather do that than be dead. I, I'd rather serve the Lord the rest of my life in this capacity as a woodcutter and a water carrier than for my life to end. Yeah, we live in a society these days where we want all the top positions. We want all the top spots. We want all the great ministries. We, we, we want our name to be in light, so to speak. And yet, here the Gibeonites were just saying, hey, I, we're, just, we're just proud to be here. What was it that Minnie Pearl used to say? Howdy! It's so good to see you. So proud for you to be here. Take your shoes off, the clampet said. Stay a while. It's just good to be in the presence of God's people. And that's what the Gibeonites were saying. Now, did a little, did a little study here on the Gibeonites after Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9 is the covenant that was struck, the curse that was put upon them, and then all that went into that after Joshua chapter 9, here's how you see the Gibeonites and their lives playing out. They became servants at the tabernacle just as Joshua had commanded. Think about it. They had the opportunity to see the hand of God in the redemption of Israel from a front row seat. They were involved in what God was doing in the house of the Lord. Gideon became a priestly city. The Ark of the Covenant was, uh, was put there and stayed at Gibeon many times in the days of David and Solomon. That is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 39 and 40, and then chapter 21, verse 29. So they, 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 it was a city where the presence of God, the Ark of God, stayed. At least one of David's mighty men that was one of his close um, compadres, if you will, was a Gibeonite. We see that in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 4. So when David came into power, he started to, looking for people who could be in his inner circle and in his cabinet, if you will. And in and among those special forces was a Gibeonite that David chose right out of these very people that Joshua had struck a covenant with. And so they were, they, they, they were honored that way. God spoke to Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 4. He spoke to him in Gibeon. So it was a place where God spoke to someone and gave his commands. It was the Gibeonites, catch this, it was the Gibeonites who helped Nehemiah rebuild the walls in Jerusalem in chapter 3, verse 7, and in chapter 7, verse 25. As Nehemiah is building and rebuilding Jerusalem, the ones that were standing right beside him were the Gibeonites who Joshua had struck a covenant with years before. Now, what's the point here? Here's the point. I'm thankful that God is able to take poor decisions that we make and redeem them for his glory. Isn't that good news? 
I mean, hey, I'm going to be honest. I've made a lot of poor choices in my life. I've done some things that it's almost like the instant I did it, I thought, why did I do that? Why did I make that commitment? Why did I make that choice? Why did I make that decision? Did you ever eat pizza at midnight? It's like when you're done, it's like, why in the world would I do something like that? I'm an idiot. Yeah, it's a lighthearted way to say that we in our humanity sometimes make really poor choices. And it's not that we shouldn't have done it, but when we come back to a place of repentance and we come back before God and say, God, I shouldn't have done this, but because I did, and especially because I invoked your name upon this decision, then Lord, I will spend the rest of my life being faithful to this commitment that I made in your name. That's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful quality to be able to do that. I know that some of you are in situations right now that had you made a different decision, had you made a different choice, your life would be very different today. Some of the heartache that you have had to deal with in your life would have been very different had you made a different choice. But you didn't. And you can't go back now and relive that moment. But neither can you spend the rest of your life deciding I'm going to be miserable and cursed for the rest of my life. No, you rise up and you dust yourself off and you say, I did make a bad choice. But God has given me every tool that I need to be able to walk successfully through this situation. You know, you can learn how to love and appreciate a spouse that you might not should have married. But God can help you to find the good things about them that will allow love to exist in your family. I could go on and on and on about poor decisions that you may have made. But the important thing is, is that through God's grace, we have the ability to face those decisions and face those circumstances and walk through them with victory. I'm glad that God does not hold our feet to the fire and say, I'm never going to bless you again because of that choice that you made. I'm never going to put my hand upon you again. Listen, Israel was not done taking ground. They were not finished destroying uh, the enemies of God. They were going to move forward. They were just going to have to do it now with the Gibeonites. Now let's go to chapter 10. Because we see the first time now that Israel is really forced to back up their covenant. To back their covenant up. Joshua chapter 10 beginning at verse 1. It says, now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he has done to Jericho and its king, and as he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city. Like one of the royal cities. And because it was greater than Ai, and all of its men were mighty. Therefore, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, don't you love these names? Piram, 
Japhia, and Lachish, and Daber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up and help me that we may attack Gibeon. Now, who are they going to attack? Not Israel, but who? Gibeon, who is in covenant with who? Israel and Joshua. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up, they and all their armies, and camped before Gibeon and made war against it. Now, who are they fighting? Gibeon. Not Israel. Gibeon. Now, let's, I, I want to point this out. That, now, you know that the Old Testament is prophetic in that it, it is the stories that we see in the Old Testament actually happened, but they're prophetic in that they are types and shadows of that which would come. Now, I, I told you a couple of weeks ago, the name Joshua in the Hebrew is the same name as what in the Greek? Jesus. So Joshua is a type and a shadow of Jesus who would come in the New Testament and be revealed as the Messiah in the New Testament. And so now this guy, Adonai Zedek, that first part of his name, when you take it away from the Zedek part, can be pronounced and used as Adonai. Have you ever heard that name? Adonai. So what that name means is the Lord of Righteousness. That's what Adonai Zedek means. The Lord of Righteousness. So does that mean that he was righteous? Does that mean that he was holy? Does that mean that he was a representative of God? No, in fact... What he was representative of was Antichrist. Not Christ, not the righteous one, but the Antichrist. And so here we have this leader who now is gathering nations around him so that he can build an alliance to come against Gibeon, who he knows will then put him in direct conflict with who? Israel. Does that sound a little bit like end time revelations? Does it sound like scripture that tells us that in the last days that there will be antichrist and that he will come and he will bring nations together and he will unite them as one? Who do you think they're going after? They're going they're going to they're going to build these alliances antichrist will. And he's coming in against Israel. But before they get to Israel, they will come against any nation that stands in the path of Israel. So the United States will be a great target for the Antichrist because of our relationship with Israel. As long as we maintain our relationship with Israel. And I don't know who the next president's going to be. Now, I know that some of them are already talking that we don't need to be as tied to Israel as we have been in the past. But listen, America must stand with Israel. 
We have a covenant, and we must stand with God and his people. So this Adonabizak, which if you separate the two names, the first one being Adonai, the Lord of righteousness, is not representative of God. He didn't come on behalf of God, but he came to represent everything that was anti-God. Everything that God was doing in the life of Israel, this king was trying to come against. And so he builds this alliance with all of these kings, and they decide that they're going to come against Gibeon, which then will put them in conflict with Israel. Verse 6, and the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal. Now, it's interesting that when they got in trouble and they needed help, they didn't cry out to God. Why? Because they didn't have the same covenant with God. Their covenant was with Israel, whose covenant was with God. You see, they had no direct access to God. They couldn't cry out to God the way that Israel. So they went to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal saying, don't forsake your servants, but come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So he's reminding them of the covenant that they made with them. Verse 7. So Joshua ascended. Do you see that word ascended? Make note of that. He and all the people of war with him. And all the mighty men of valor. How many of them? All of them. He didn't make the same mistake that he made at Ai. He knew that this was a battle that had to be fought and had to be won. And he needed every resource that he had available to him. And so Joshua is getting ready to go up. Verse 8. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them. Now, I, I want you to notice those words there, they are not given in the original language. They're not given as a suggestion. They're not giving as, here's something you might want to consider. The, the, the wording here suggests that this is a direct command by God. He is saying to Joshua, I command you to not be afraid in this situation. I can command you this because I already know what the outcome is going to be. And so I'm telling you to follow my words. Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Did he say, I'm going to deliver them into your hand? Did he say, next week I'm going to give them into your hand? He said, I have already delivered them. That's, that's the wording there. I have already delivered them into your hand. So there's no reason for you to be afraid. There's no reason for you to have fear. There's no reason for you to carry fear in your back pocket when I have already done what I declared that I would do. And he said, here's the proof of it. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Not a man of them. Verse 9, Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly having marched all night from Gilgal. Now, you remember when I asked you to make a note of, in verse 7 it says, So Joshua ascended from Gilgal. Here's what he did. I want to read this to you. I found this in one of the commentaries. <clears throat> it took hard work 
and initiative on Joshua's part to get there. The march from Gilgal to Gibeon involved a climb, an ascent of 3,300 feet in a distance that was equal to about 20 miles. So Gibeon comes to Joshua and they, they say to Joshua, we're being attacked, we need for you to come and protect us. And Joshua grabs everybody and gets all the men of war together and they start ascending from where they are to where they're going 3,300 feet in elevation from where they are and the distance is 20 miles. Have you ever done much hiking in your time? Anybody? Have you ever ever walked on a treadmill that has that feature on it that you can, that, that you can bring it up like this? Anybody ever done that? No, nobody? Okay, there. Now we got some people wanting to get saved. You got your hands going up everywhere. How many of you know that walking uphill is way harder than walking straight across or downhill? The, the scripture is very clear that for them to back up the covenant that they had made with Gibeon, they had to walk uphill for 20 miles and 3,300 feet in ascension. That, that blows my mind. But it shows how important it was to them to be men and women of character and integrity. I said I would do this. I said that I would support you. I said that I would stand beside you. I said that I would fight for you. I said that we would be partners. I said it and I meant it. And if I have to climb the highest mountain and if it takes me all night to get there, I will be there. And I will back the words and the covenant that I made with you. It, 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 isn't that a wonderful thing? I mean, I don't know if there's something in your mind, maybe, maybe a commitment that you made at one time and, that, and you, you really didn't take it seriously. You, you told someone, I'm committed to you. I, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to help you. I'll do whatever I can to assist you. But then when it came time to do it, the sacrifice looked awfully hard to make at the time. And so you decided against it. Can I just tell you and remind you once again, thank God for grace. But you know, it's never too late to go back to someone that you made a commitment to and to say to them, I let you down. I remember when I promised you that I would do this or that I would do that or that I would hang in with you. And I would be there when the going got tough. But I didn't keep my end of the bargain. And so I'm asking you to forgive me. And I'm asking you to allow the grace of Jesus Christ to heal the difficulty that has been there in our relationship because I broke covenant. I did not keep my promise. Jericho, Joshua, had to work extremely hard. And he had to ask all of his mighty men of war to make the same sacrifice that he was making by climbing that ascent for 20 miles. Verse 10. So the Lord routed them before Israel. Now let me explain to you what that word routed means. 
How many of you have ever uh, uh, Googled a, 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 a direction, a GPS? How many of you have a GPS? Any of you? So you, you put in the, the coordinates and, and, and then it, sometimes it'll say, which route do you want to take? I've got three possibilities. You can go this way. You can go that way. You can go that way. And you know you have to select the route. That's what he's talking about here. It says the Lord made sure that their route came right by where Israel was. They didn't have to go looking for them. That God brought them right in front of their nose. He routed them before Israel and then killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as Ezekiah and Makeda. And it happened that as they fled before Israel and and were on the descent of Beth Horon, that the Lord, let me stop right there. Let me stop right here because now God's getting ready to intervene. What I just read you, Israel was doing. God was doing it through Israel. How many of you know God likes to work through his people? We are his eyes. We are his mouth. We are his hands to the world. He anoints us to be effective in what he has asked us to do. He will use you. We Pentecostals gotten too stuck on all this miracle working stuff. You know, Lord, just do a miracle so that I don't have to raise my finger. You may be the miracle. You, you may be the very thing that God intends to, to use to break a situation wide open. Now, up to this point, the Lord got involved by making them take a route that would take them right in front of Israel so that Israel could just stand there with their swords and just cut them down as they were walking by. And they finally got confused and they finally started realizing what in the world's going on here. And then notice what it says. The Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Ezekiah and they died. And there were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Isn't that cool? Then Joshua spoke to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still. And the moon stopped until the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of the heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like it before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. And then Joshua returned, and all of Israel with him, to the camp at Gilgal. Do you see what's going on here? Number one, God blessed Israel because they stood by their commitment to a covenant. And God brought them the deliverance that was needed. He caused the enemy to come right by where Israel was, and Israel started fighting. 
they started killing them by the sword. But when they started killing them and doing battle against them, they began to run. And as they were escaping Israel, God decided, nope, I'm not going to let you get away today. My people have done all the damage they can do. They have fought valiantly. They have fought hard. They've done an excellent job. But if you think I'm going to let you get away now, then you better think again. I'm going to get every last one of you. And the scripture says that from heaven... He took hailstones and threw them at the enemy and he killed more with hailstones than Israel killed with the sword on that day. Now you think about that. I mean, he wasn't just randomly throwing hailstorms. How many of you know that if God decides to throw a hailstorm or a hail a hailstone at you, he ain't going to miss. He's going to get you right between the eyes. And he's going to put a knot on your noggin that will take you out of this world. And that's exactly, God wasn't up in heaven saying, phew, oh, darn, I missed. He wasn't throwing over here, oh, oh, that was close. I'm going to try the old curveball. Phew, oh, ball four, walked him. No, no. When God starts throwing hailstorms, the stones, when God starts intervening, you better believe that he's going to hit every time. Heard somebody, some, somebody say this week, and I, I chuckled out loud. I literally chuckled out loud. He said, did you know that you can trust God nine out of ten times? That's pretty funny to me. And then, and, then, and then Joshua, and I got to quit, but Joshua said, we need more time. We're, we've got the upper hand here. Lord, we need your favor. We need, we need sun, stand still. Moon, be still. And the scripture says that the sun and the moon obeyed for about the space of a day until they could complete all that God had them doing in that situation. Let me tell you something. If I, 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 Scripture says there's never been a day like it before. There's never been a day since where we know that God listened to the voice of man the way that he listened to Joshua that day. But let me tell you something. If that teaches us anything at all, it teaches us that if God has to su- suspend natural processes... In order to get victory to you. He is more than able to do it. And more than willing to do it. If it will work his glory in your life. And and to his name. So don't worry about the circumstances. Don't worry about how many kings are amassed against you. Don't worry about those people that have weird names like Adonai Zedek. Don't worry about it. God can hit him between the eyes with a hailstone just like anybody else. I wish I'd have had time. What's that eight on? I don't have time. Can I just start next week? Because he takes those five kings and he puts them in a cave. And he said, you just wait there. I'll come back and I'll deal with you later. You stay right there. I'll be back tomorrow. We'll talk about that next week. It'll be good. I promise you. Father, thank you for your word, for your promises. 
for all that you're involved in in our lives. Why in the world should we be afraid?